everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Because this guy has got a lot of information and we've already figured out we're not going to maybe get it all in today. So he knows that he's got an open invitation to come back and, and share again so we can get this all out to you. We'll, we'll figure that out. But here's what you can do for us. Every question you can possibly think of is a good one. You remember that, Wayne, so that you can ask me questions. We'll dialogue as we go along. Conrad, I could ask you questions for the next, how long, Reed? Do you think I could ask Conrad questions for the next 10 hours? I think 10 years. <laughs> um, well, let's I, hope I have enough answers to. I'd really rather let the audience ask and, and then let you do your presentation. So anyway, okay. I'm going to go ahead and just be quiet here. I'm going to let introduce Areeb, who's in the back office, because Areeb's been working with Con with Conrad. And and by the way, Conrad goes by Rad as his sort of screen name. And I'm probably going to use Rad more often than I use Conrad. I think he likes that. It's a cool screen name. And um, and and Mark is in the background. Uh, Mark, why don't you say hi? And then Areeb, you say hi. Everybody, get ready Hello. to type in questions, and then. Hey, I'm going to turn over to, uh, to, to Rad. So go ahead, Areeb, say hi. Hey, everyone. And Areeb is in Pakistan, in Lahore, Pakistan, and Mark is in Dhaka, in Bangladesh. And I'm in, and I'm in Georgia. And Rad is in Georgia. And I'm in Colorado, and we have a windstorm. So I hope that you're not hearing the wind in the background, but I've got this fancy new mic that. Uh, that I'm using, and it's sort of directional, so I don't think it should be as much background. Anyway, Great. Rad, it is all yours, and Rad's going to be giving a read direction um, to do things. I got to share one last thing, though. Sorry, before you go on, what is that, everybody? Can people see what that is? Some looks like Alexander Hamilton. Yep, that's a twenty, and. I bought a new car over the weekend, a new used car, and I was doing some cleaning on it, and I found a little envelope in the back seat that had that in it. And All right. Not a lot of coin, as they say, but when you get a little surprise like that, you don't ever feel bad about it. So yeah, we'll good. forward and let Brad get after it. Okay. Now, let me just get on this thing here. All right, so we're going to talk today about the corruption of science, which is bothering probably everybody lately, and the persecution of doctors. Most of that goes along with what's happening in medicine, especially with talking about the vaccine, talking about masks, talking about mandates and stuff like that. So it's very controversial nowadays. But meanwhile, we have these drones out there. You think about drones, you think about little things that are flying around, but actually look at this one here in the picture. Can we see that one, Arib? The thinking drones? Yep, we're seeing it. Okay, so what I'm seeing on the screen below me is what's showing each time. I see an arrow that's moving around. Is that is that you, Ariba? That's a red Okay, all right. So the next picture is going to come on there. Okay, so basically this drone that we see here, it's huge. It carries 2,000 kilograms of explosives. And the big problem with drones and the big problem with artificial intelligence is similar this drone can 
do things by itself, take off, come back, drop bombs. Supposed to be under the directions of humans, but the problem with artificial intelligence controlling things is that the human may ask the first question to the like Siri or something, but then and with artificial intelligence, whatever the thing is that answers a computer or whatever, it'll answer something. But things could get a little funny because it's my it's mind if we can use that word moves fast and it can move to another question which it makes up and it makes up another answer and then it goes to the next question it makes up and then it goes to the next answer it makes up and it can get out of control beyond human control so we're going to see a little video to uh, talk about that from jay tuck in a couple of minutes about three or four minute segment yeah so we have the face recognition going on and then we have might as well show that uh, we know Elon Musk. We think he's so smart. He's such a genius. Why don't we put a picture up of Elon? You got that, Arib? By the way, everybody, I'm going to kind of blur my picture here just so it's not distracting because I'm going to let you guys keep going. All right. So that's not him. That's Elon. Where's Elon? Okay. Elon, let's see the picture of Elon. There he is. That's his Twitter, his Twitter picture. So Elon is a mad genius, very brilliant man, very rich, but he's a little crazy, like so many mad geniuses are. So one of the things in the vast plethora of things that he's adventured into is a thing called Neuralink. See if you can put that picture up. And Neuralink, believe it or not, he set it up so that um, this is what it looks like. Now, hold on there. Okay, so what he's done is he wants to enable people to, be, to get smart. And his method that I first heard of was he's, if he finds a susceptible subject that wants to learn a foreign language, they can drill a hole in their skull and hook some threads into through the hole that they borrow there and they will hook these things up to a computer. And theoretically, in five minutes, you may have not have known any Russian or French, but you can speak it in five minutes from this wonderful invention if you want to get a whole bird into your head to get there. And this picture is from a Neuralink uh, video. And what it is, if you look closely, the pink is the brain of the subject. And then those things that are sticking out and going along, those are called threads. So they put 64 threads in there and they have 16, um, what do they call them? Well, I'll have to come back to it. But anyway, there's, there's 16 little things on there that help it function. And there you go. So I don't think too many people are going to do this. And But this is another danger of science going crazy. And then... What else do we have for Elon there? Any other slides for him? All right, let's do the, uh, okay. So Elon is involved, uh, that this is more about uh, the treating intractable conditions such as paralysis and blindness is one of the things that he wants to treat with this implantation of these threads. Electrodes, that's what it is. 16 electrodes on each thread. Okay, next next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Should be one more of Elon. No? That's it? No, that's it. All right. Okay. Uh, let's go back to the, 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 this. I think this is, um, let's see, we got SpaceX there. 
yeah, let's put this SpaceX picture up. I think that was the one we just saw, but let's see. All right. Well, SpaceX is Elon Musk's invention. You have to give him credit. He's brilliant. He was almost broke about a decade ago. He was sleeping in his office, and then he got a big deal to do the missiles that he started to do. So he's launching 60 satellites in a missile uh, every two weeks. And he wants to have 30 to 50,000 satellites of his launched into space. And then he needs a million ground antenna to receive the impulses from the satellite to help 5G work better. So we have to worry about 5G which apparently was never tested for human damage or health before it was approved by Congress. But um, that's another thing, another crazy thing about our technology and the corruption of science. And then we have Bill Gates, and he has also gotten involved with another organization called Earth Now. And Bill Gates, let's go to the Earth Now. Uh, nope, next one. All right, so this is, the, this is the mission for Earth Now. So Earth Now, the main thing that they're trying to do with Earth Now, also missiles, sending satellites into space to view the earth 24 7. so if you need to see something in angola or zimbabwe or uh, antarctica bill gates and earth now wants you to be able to see that any place on the earth 24 7 and their vision is they want to create a means for us to instantly see almost anywhere on the earth in true real time and give you a live and unfiltered view of your planet 24 7 and i think it's a problem here do you want do you want the earth to be viewable you want to be everything on the earth to be viewable is that what we're doing with our technology letting the technology run away and these are the some of the things they say earth now can help you with attract large whales as they migrate you can watch hurricanes and typhoons as they evolve they can help smart cities become more efficient so Bill Gates was the first investor. I think he gave a million dollars. They needed a billion dollars, they say, to get it rolling. So I think they're still having uh, startup um, problems, but they're going at it. And then Bill Gates, you should know, is the biggest farmland owner in the United States. Did you know that? Here's the numbers. And show a slide there. The 242,000 acres of farmland. He's a number one farmland owner and 27,000 acres of other land across 19 states. Most of them are in Louisiana, Arkansas, where he owns 69,000 and 48,000 acres respectively. And then he has land in other places so he can grow his GMOs, just what we need, more GMOs. So we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the FDA and We'll talk about some other corruptions of science. Okay, so why don't we uh, just show the slide of the remdesivir, just to show you another corruption of science. And then we'll go to some doctors, and we'll go to Jay Tuck. So... Let's see, now let's go to the next one. Now remdesivir is one of the two main, not this one, uh, 
Remdesivir is one of the two main drugs that we're using to treat COVID in the hospital. But the problem, as you can see in this slide from a study that was done in 2020 initially, with remdesivir, this is the drug that Donald Trump took when he got COVID in the early stages. It's a sort of a monoclonal antibody. No, it's not a monoclonal antibody. Take that back. That's for Regeneron. But he also had remdesivir, and that's supposed to help slow down the virus from reproducing. However, it in this study, they found a 20-fold increase of occurrence of a renal failure. So if your husband was 41 years old, he was in great health, he got COVID, he went into the hospital, and he developed acute renal failure, and he died with no previous problems with his kidneys, very likely he got remdesivir in the hospital. Now, most people in the medical establishment, this is another corruption of science, are not looking at these studies. There are other studies that also show the development of kidney failure. And then with COVID, that could lead to death. And um, they're still using it. They're still making up courses on remdesivir in the med page and other uh, medical journals and little flimsier publications like Medscape, MedPage, Med, MD Edge. They report on all this. Okay, so let's see. So the sci science could be better. Okay, let's scare you a little bit now. This is going to be Jay Tuck. Let's just show a couple. Let's show Jay Tuck's face before we put him on here and let everybody hear this. This is something you'll never forget. Is he in there? No, he was probably in. Um, we'll put the slides on the names of the, the folders and we'll find them. Uh, up. It should be in in um. Oh well. All right, we're not going to find that right now. It's probably under uh, artificial intelligence or something like that. Okay. All right, so we'll skip that. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Oh, there he is. Okay, there's Jay Tuck. He was the first American, by the way. He was a long distance runner in 2000, uh, according to what I read. This says 2001. He was the first American to run in the Siberian Ice Marathon in Omsk, Russia. He's also involved with high tech. Um, knowledge. He did a show called. Uh, go to the go to the slide of the of the books. He's written many books, and then he had a TV show on for about five years called Understanding Tomorrow. And then some of his books are high tech espionage, high tech espionage of language, several languages there. Um, so, all right. I think it's time to run the clip. So why don't we let's run the clip and see what we see as Jay Tuck talks to you about the dangers of artificial intelligence. The aircraft and you Jay can Tuck. see it. And they're responsible for a lot of these uh, UFO sightings in, in the getting there. The Arriba. Jet engine propulsion, a reach of oops, this is in German. Like 2,000 miles, start landing all by itself. Okay, I can't stealth see it. Optical stealth, you can't see it. And the kill decision, which is required by United States law to be made by human beings. Human beings must be in the, in the loop before someone is killed by a drone. But it's in the machine. And it doesn't need people. It can decide by itself whether or not it kills somebody. And the experts say it's going to make less mistakes and less collateral damage than the human decisions. 
The kill decision in robots in the air, in robots on the ground, in robots in the water or underwater, where there are also drones, is made by, or can be made by machines. And in my book, I quote many official United States government documents which say, our goal is to have the kill decision made by them. And the problem is, artificial intelligence, sometimes they make mistakes. This is Talon, he's an automatic cannon. <laughs> I mean, they can, a lot of ammunition in that thing, and you can also put rockets on it. And it's in Iraq since 2007. At a demonstration with US generals and experts, the damn thing got out of control and started pointing at the audience. And there was a Marine there, thank goodness, running across the field who tackled it like a football player and threw it on his side and probably prevented a couple hundred people from being killed. Now, this wasn't reason enough to take a lucrative contract away from the company that built it, and it wasn't enough to take the talent out of Iraq. It's just sort of off-duty for that moment, because you know, uh, there, there were some early stages of development, you know, that, that kind of problem. But don't underestimate artificial intelligence, because it's getting better every day, and it's going to scare us. And now I'm right at the right time where I say stop. Because I want to take a look now. This has all been here and now technology. Let's go to the future. Not far. Just a little bit to the internet of things. To artificial intelligence as being spread out. It's not a central machine in a box where you can pull the plug. Artificial intelligence is networked, like the Internet of Things. And part of it may be in a smart watch or a refrigerator or in a supercomputer. And the intelligence exists only by networking it together. If the supercomputer needs more computer power, it goes there and gets it out of the Internet. If the computer needs better programs, it goes there and gets those programs. And if it needs more information, more data, it goes there and gets more data. It sets up a spontaneous network for its needs, which collapses when it no longer needs it. It does this, it does this without us. And you have to imagine, like, these are, there are these intelligence nodes all over the place. And they're like drops of mercury on a glass table. They will find their way to each other. They will find their way together. Now, we have to be very careful because survival is an issue for artificial intelligence. It needs to exist to be able to do the things it wants to do according to its program. So it lays, like in insect eggs, backups and computer programs all over the world, thousands and thousands of them, so that if we do destroy part of it, it's still alive. My job to you is the wake-up call to make you aware of the problem. Your job is to figure out how we're going to stop this before it kills us. Thank you. We are back. So. What do you think of that, Wayne and Arib? Is that frightening? That is frightening. Uh, it's kind of frightening, you know, um, very, very much. Um, yeah. So, audience, you're out there. This is warranting some questions. We apologize that the video didn't work. It worked for its sound, but the, uh, Arib, is there, a, is there a challenge with us making the video work on these things? It played fine on my end. I was able to see it, and I could. Yeah, it was it. fine. It played fine. Uh, well, both oh, your voices okay. when you talk, you both talk. Remember, Mark? I remember we've had this happen before. When you're playing, sometimes the speakers that have their had their uh, their, their uh, webcams on can't. So, anyways, that was great. No, I again, I could come up with all kinds. Uh, something's of something's playing in the background. Yeah, I. That's me. Okay. And I was I was actually replaying another video, so that yeah, that's bad boy, yeah, bad boy. No, I was okay. playing. One. All right. I think one of our one of our staff has a question. Go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. 
question. Uh, I, I thought it was Aaron. Sorry. Okay. All right. Um, so I think we should go to the openers. I just want to show you one thing, and then we're going to show you uh, another clip of a doctor, one of the first persecution of doctors that we're going to share on this show. Now that we have the chloroquine, yeah, that chloroquine one, the fourth one down. I think that's the one. Hit that. So the main thing here is they're saying the chloroquine um, may work uh, against SARS-CoV, which this was written, I think, in 2005. And so chloroquine is a cousin of hydrochloroquine, but a little more harsh. So everybody likes to take hydrochloroquine, which they take, for example, for rheumatoid arthritis, Sjorgen's syndrome, which is a rheumatoid disease, and other, um, it's also a preventative for malaria, and it's been used in Africa for centuries. And it originally comes from the cinchona plant, which is in Peru. And uh, the, the locals in Peru, going way back, indigenous, they used to take it for fever and so on. Who knows what that means? Maybe they had malaria. Maybe it worked and cured them. I don't know. Okay. And then it went to quinine. Then it went to chloroquine. And then some other forms. And the latest one is hydrochloroquine. And that is used today controversially for people who maybe aren't clinical doctors um, for treating COVID besides the rheumatoid diseases. Okay. So. Knowing that this was happening in 2005, now there was SARS-1, that was very fatal. There were about 800 cases reported in Asia in around 2002 to 2004, and 80 of the 800 died from the disease. So he's saying in this report, the author, that chloroquine may work. But this was after the pandemic or epidemic ended. Because sometimes when your germ is too strong, when you have a, an epidemic or a pandemic, it kills off too many hosts and then it disappears. So the more moderate, the better. And, and you can notice that today when you reflect back on how COVID went, first you had a strong form of the COVID germ, the virus, and then you get the Delta form. And then as time went along, it got weaker and weaker and weaker. So now we have different um, species of Omicron. And that seems to be more susceptible, by the way, to hydrochloroquine. So without further ado, it's time for Mr. Andrea, Dr. Andrea Stramezzi. Dr. Stramezzi is from Italy, and he will explain what happened when COVID came to Italy and what he was able to do about it. So why don't we play that clip of Dr. Andrea Stramezzi. He's actually a dental surgeon, or maybe a dentist, and here he is. Well, I can say that uh, Italy was the first country, of, of West country, was, that was uh, hit by COVID. Yep. So, so at the beginning, on the very first beginning of the pandemic, I, I had a friend, a colleague, who was a physician, that has his father who was dying with, uh, with oxygen. And so he asked me what to do. I came, I came to his house, I went to his house, and I tried with something very well-known 
drugs like anti-inflammatory, antibiotics, and hydroxychloroquine. Why? Because I, I read something about, uh, about hydroxychloroquine written by Dr. Fauci uh, <laughs> about SARS. He said yeah. in 2015, uh, if I don't remember, maybe it was 2012, but anyway, he wrote uh, hydroxychloroquine works very well with SARS. And so I suppose the next pandemic will be the game changer. So I tried. <laughs> and after three days, this guy was 96 years old with oxygen. And when I saw him, I thought he will not pass the night. It was the vegetal. After three days, he was already eating and uh, stopping oxygen. And after five days, we, are, we were in lockdown. Uh, we are talking about March, the beginning of March 2020. We were in lockdown in Italy from 7th of March. And he was with his jacket, his tie, walking uh, in, the, in the living room and uh, protesting by, uh, to, your, to his uh, son because he, didn't, he was not allowed to go to the park for a walk. Mm. I said, why you don't let me go for a, for a walk? Well, after that, I, I treated at least 6,000 patients, I, I suppose more. Uh, 1,000 of them going, outpatients of course, going mm -hmm. to their home, visiting them, touching them. And uh, after that, I also went to, to treat inpatients in a COVID hospital. I was for three months head of a COVID hospital. And we saved everybody. No one died. No one. We had 45 patients. There were around 80 media, 80 years old, all with oxygen. And we saved them all. So that's the story. So now things happened to him. He got disciplined. And because he was not following the guidelines, the story is this. COVID came around, COVID-2, and um, it was also known as SARS-CoV-2, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. And people knew about the hydrochloroquine or the chloroquine from the study from 2005. I don't think that Dr. Fauci uh, wrote an article about that. I don't think that's correct. However, the study was done in coordination with the NIH and published in a magazine called Virology. And um, so people had to start somewhere when they had patients that they didn't know how to get better because the way it worked in the beginning and unfortunately for much too long, because uh, let's say it started in uh, the fall of 2000. 19 that this whole thing started COVID pandemic. So people are trying to figure out what to give to their patients to make them better. So you can see that Dr. Strametzi explained what he did. And then um, other things were experimented with. People talked to each other. And then uh, they might develop some kind of treatment plan. But at first, it was hydrochloroquine. And then hydrochloroquine, uh, Donald Trump got on the bandwagon with uh, Dr. Vladimir Zdenko, who is a Hasidic doctor in Monroe, New York. And he combined the hydrochloroquine with uh, azithromycin or Zithromax, and then some other drugs, steroids, and some other things. And 
he was treating all the patients as outpatients because many of the patients that got admitted to the hospital end up dying, maybe because they're getting having to get the remdesivir. I don't really know if they didn't really do studies on that. And I don't think they're going to want to either. Maybe someday they will. But that's another corruption of science. So I think maybe what you should do here next, instead of playing the next video, the next clip, why don't we show the one with Dr. Binder talking, which would be the fourth clip now, the last clip that you have. Now, wait a minute. Don't show it yet. Okay, so, so Dr. Thomas Binder, cardiologist, he had his own clinical practice for 24 years in Switzerland. And he was curious about what was going on with this new disease that was coming. And so he was... We have the internet now, so he was communicating with colleagues, not colic, as Dr. Stramezzi said. And he was listening to all sorts of evaluations and treatment plans and devising them, and everybody was scrambling to figure out what to do because you got your live patients, you got to take care of them. You're not a public uh, health official who doesn't really take care of patients and makes up rules and regulations. So Dr. Bender started, he tried to inform the public, but the journalists that he talked to weren't interested in what he was thinking or writing about COVID in that way. So he started writing blogs and he wrote a blog on Thursday before Easter in 2020. Remember COVID started around 2019 in the fall in China, theoretically. And so this is what happened to him on Saturday night. He was gonna go on a holiday with his wife, but Thomas Binder, Dr. Thomas Binder, cardiologist, explaining what happened to him. You got it, Ariba? Yes, I'm playing. Okay. It. Okay. Thomas Binder. Um, uh, I wanted to go on holiday with my wife for a week, uh, beginning starting Easter Sunday, 2020. So in the evening of uh, Saturday evening, I was still in my practice to do some final work. I guess you fellow doctors understand that there, there, there are things that cannot wait for a week or so. Sure. And then at 10 o'clock, I was brutally arrested in my practice by an anti-terrorist squad. At 10 p.m.? 10 p.m. on a Saturday night? 10 p.m. Easter Saturday night. They came into your office? They came into, well, they called me, I had to go out and they arrested me. This was a anti-terrorist unit, so about the 20 handcuffs? guys with the machine guns and all this. Yeah, of course, handcuffs. They struck my head on the floor and it was really brutally, although they, they saw that I was not wearing Kalashnikovs or something like this. And but I must stress that it was not the government that came directly after me. A quite well, a good acquaintance of mine uh, wrote, uh, read my emails, my blogs, and in these, in, in these blocks, he saw threats. He projected threats uh, against the public and uh, against the government and so on and so forth. So he thought you were dangerous. He thought, exactly, he thought I'm dangerous. So he called another good acquaintance of mine, actually the prime minister of the Canton Argyle, of the, the, the province or the, the state in Switzerland where I live, and at the phone, they decided, yes, I, I am a threat to the society, to politicians. There was the allegation that I was armed and uh, that I had a psychiatric history. All, all this was wrong. All this so, was invented, that you had a gun and that you, that, that you were crazy. Yeah, my, my had gun. had history of being crazy. I, I had no, his, I have no psychiatric history. I, my gun was my 
weapon I got in 1980 when I joined the Swiss Army. And in Switzerland, when you leave the army, this was about 15 years ago, it's normal that you store it at home, you keep it at home, this is completely legal. And it was stored at home for 15 years without ammunition, without ammunition. It was there where I told the police that they can find it. Well, then after an hour or so, they realized, oh, there is no threat. They went through all my all the stuff I wrote. They, they saw no threat. I mean, I was only a threat to the worldview of of these yeah. corona insane people, of course. So they sent an emergency doctor to me. And you must imagine already in April 2020, she wore such a hardcore FFP2 mask and he was panicked by the virus. She said, put on the mask, put on the mask, the virus, the virus. So this colleague had to check my mental status. And well, the first question was, what is the date? I said April 11th of 2020. The third question was, what is the year? <laughs> oh, well, well, it was not very intelligent, but I, it was my, my kind of silent resistance. I answered 1984. In 1984, they didn't like that. So she diagnosed him with mania, the doctor in the hazmat suit, from the terrorist squad. And they decided that he had to stay in a padded cell all by himself for 36 hours, no contact with a lawyer. Finally, uh, when they got the lawyer and they had a meeting, they decided he should go to a psych hospital because he's crazy, good mania. So they said, you have to go to the hospital and we'll, we'll work with you there. And he didn't want to go to the hospital because he knows he wasn't crazy. This is just oppression, suppression, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and he somehow and the lawyer got them to make another offer of putting him on a medication a psychiatric medication, and then he wouldn't have to go into the psych hospital. So he said, okay, I'll do that. So they put him on a drug, it was called Abilify, but uh, it's known to have liver toxicity sometimes in some people. So Dr. Binder's a smart man. So what he did is, he said, at two weeks, he said, can you please test my liver enzymes? And they did, and his liver enzymes were up. So they had to discontinue the Abilify. And then from there on, that was the beginning of the story of Dr. Bender and the suppression of intellectual curiosity and dialogue um, between doctors. Uh, and many doctors have been depressed, suppressed uh, across the world. And now they have that law in California, AB 2098, where if you don't agree with the consensus treatment, then you can, if you say something about it, you can lose your license or be disciplined. So they're going on with a big battle over there. And then many doctors have been disciplined, including Dr. Peter McCullough, who's a brilliant guy. He actually edits three magazines. He's a cardiologist too. And he edits a cardiology renal magazine also amongst those three. And he's appeared everywhere and he's encyclopedic in that he, he says something and then he gives you the study. And he tells you what's going on and he's been saying all kinds of things, concerned about the sudden deaths and the question about the vaccine deaths. Now, he did, that slide you just had, can you put that back on? So what happened to him was, this is the American Board of Internal Medicine. So he was a, a fellow of this board, a member of the, uh, of the um, internal medicine uh, auspices group. And they decided to take away his accreditation. So 
he wasn't happy, but they're doing it to other doctors. Ryan Cole, who's a pathologist, he's seen, I mean, he's been involved, he says, with about 500,000 cases. So he was making observations about the vaccine, how, for example, what happens with it is sometimes the temperatures, the way they make it in vats are not quite um, the same throughout the whole vat. And so sometimes different parts of the vaccine concentrate in different places. And then sometimes what will result is you get a batch and you could get um, a severe reaction to it. Or if you're allergic, you could die from it, for example. Anyway, so for daring to say that as an observation, amongst other things, they're trying to discipline him in Washington state. And, um, and then we can go back to Dr. Stramezzi to tell you one more little story about Italy 2020 and thereafter and uh, what happened to him. And I'll, I'll add a little bit after you run the video, Ariba. You got it. Are we ready to roll, Ariba? This is Dr. Andrea Stramezzi from Italy. But I want to tell you another story. I take one minute. I, I, told, uh, I told you about him in Paris at the International COVID Summit. Dr. De Donno, he was really a hero. He was a, a pneumologist, head of a hospital in a country town in Italy. And as, as me, as me, because I, I thought the same thing, because we had this, the Spanish uh, flu uh, 100 years ago after World War I. And he said, let's try with hyperimmune plasma because we, mm. we, we won with the Spanish flu. So it treated people that was already in intensive care unit, and it treated six, uh, sorry, 66 uh, patients, and he saved all of them. He asked to the ministry to have the a protocol, to have the permission to, to make this experiment, experimental uh, treatment. And they said, okay, you can do this, you have to say, follow these guidelines or whatever. But uh, one day he had a, a pregnant woman. She was a very, very severe COVID. She was, she was dying and she had a baby inside uh. her. So he decided to go against the protocols and he gave her uh, hyperimmune plasma. He saved both. And after three days, after three days, military police no. sent by the government went to his hospital. I can tell you that even to my office came military police sent by the government. They didn't find anything bad, but they came. They sent and police. Dr. De Dono, Dr. To De Dono, sorry, let me finish. Yeah. Dr. De Dono. Uh, resigned from the hospital. He said, okay, I will treat people privately. After two weeks, they found him dead in his no. home. Yeah. With a rope around his neck. This is Italy, my friends. Terrible story. Terrible militarization and anti-democratic response to intellectual curiosity. And it's very sad. So, uh, so Dr. Tremetsi and Dr. I think his name was Zadorno, uh, they both paid the price because they suspended Dr. Stramezzi's license for a year. And so, and he was using hydrochloroquine and then he started using ivermectin and steroids and other things that uh, other people had used. Um, 
and he was saving people. Nobody died, and of uh, six thousand or more people. So, and this is still going on in the rest of the world, um, because when we look back now, perhaps a lot of people say this, especially in California. One of my friends, he said, "Well, I mean, you know, maybe those mandates weren't so." great to do i don't mean people don't seem to really care anymore masks and i i was sent a collection of articles about masks by a friend and there were there, a bunch of the studies were done in the operating room and one of them or two of them what they did was they were checking for wound infections so they checked them when the doctors were masked and then unmasked. And some, of the, um, and some of the studies showed that there were more wound infections in the patients where the doctor was masked. So that's a very bizarre thing. We still don't really know how well masks work. Um, and what they can filter out. Remember, the virus can't just float through. It can float, but it usually attaches to some type of moisture. And then the moisture is usually bigger than the, the, the fibers and the spaces in the mask. So that might make the masks work, but we really don't have that down yet. So anyway, it's a sad story. Doctors are getting persecuted. Science is corrupted. You can see some, some of these examples we have here. I guess I'm going to try to close out here with, with a little funny story about. Um, it's not really funny, but. What? Uh, be, quick, before you go on. Go ahead. Yeah, let's see if we've got questions from the audience. And, go ahead. And then I'll. And, and I know that some of some of these folks are people I know, and I know you guys would have this. This is controversial, so. You guys have got some. I want to ask at least two, and then I'm going to let, let Rad finish up. And we are going to invite him back. This is all very good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Have you followed up at all, Rad, on any of these doctors that were arrested? And I've got lists of many, many more. I, I, I just did have a list of, I've got over 100 across the world and, and did follow-up research on about 30 of those. For all different kinds of reasons. But, but now there's a hundred, you're talking about a hundred people, a hundred doctors that got arrested? Yeah, doctors. Wow. Okay. I didn't know it was that vast. I didn't know the number. I didn't want to think about it to tell you the truth. Um, but what what is not as easily determined is what the follow-up for those people has been. So how were how are they treated following their arrests? And the same, you know, especially Dr. Malone, I actually know him a little bit, and he actually has been apologized to um, by some, not by everybody. And, um, and he's, you know, they, he did get his, his statement and everything that he had lost. I mean, it was horrible when it went on, but it appears some of the right things have happened since. Do others have any comments or questions about that or thoughts? Or what are yours, Rad? All right. Well, I I didn't follow up on those two, though that was taped. Uh, that interview and show is taped by the FLCCC, which is a very interesting organization. The image you have is the early treatment pro, uh, protocol from the FLCCC for COVID, right there, and you can see what they they say use uh, ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, quercetin, and then some other things. You want to treat somebody as soon as they get sick. It's not test and treat. It should be treat and test. Give me my ivermectin immediately or hydrochloroquine. There's, there's a lot of things. About, there's a lot of studies that have been done. I could show you more, but I'll have to do it in another session. But uh, Dr. Stremetzi, Dr. Stremetzi said, after this happened and they allowed him to practice again, 
he's been very hesitant to use anything that's not in the guidelines. But the guidelines still don't allow for these kind of things. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's not open, it's not intellectual, it's not, everything is being squelched. Uh, there's a reason for it, and it's um, related to the insistence about not saying anything about, about the vaccine. And so when you don't say anything about the vaccine, you can't talk about it in a bad way or may, sometimes even a good way without getting disciplined or threatened. Uh, then you get cowed, and he's been cowed. So that he said, I don't do anything outside of the guidelines anymore. I just treat with normal drugs. That's what he said. Yeah. And Dr. Some Bender, of our, go ahead. Some of the audience knows this, and others probably don't, but I went through a very horrid health spurt or stent during 2022, um, very close to death, hospitalized for 15 days before the first of the year in April, the end of April. And they never did figure out what I had. I did test positive for COVID two or three times. I tested negative more often than I tested positive. So they really didn't know. I am not vaccinated. And I was very clear to all of my physicians that I was not going to be. They told me, all of them, that I should be, every one of them. And they're very good doctors. And yet they said, you, really, you need to be vaccinated. And I didn't, because I still feel it's something you don't do research on for the appropriate period of time. I actually have done work previously with Pfizer on other things and know that it's a 10-year process to get a, a vaccine approved. And this was done in six months for, for many groups. But anyway, bottom line is I also question my pathologist, my, um, my rheumatologist, my hematologist, cardiologist, um, and, and my primary physician about the usage of things like ivermectin and, and uh, hydroxychloroquine. And they, everyone work in small practices said we would be barred from further practice if we tried to prescribe those, even if we did believe. So uh, every That's a very time. sad story. Well, next time we can do this again, and we'll talk a little bit about that, about ivermectin, how it was used in Africa, uh, how um, people there uh, got less sick. Uh, they used prophylactic um, oh, ivermectin in, in, uh, in, in, excuse yeah, me? Right. Here's one that's common knowledge. The, they use hydroxychloroquine in Uganda every Sunday. It's called the Sunday pill because oh, it's, really? from, it's, it's, it's used for malaria. And it's a preventative for not getting it, you you still probably couldn't avoid getting it for the, the worst of the symptomatic circumstances of malaria. And it's taken Sunday, every Sunday. The, the infection rates in Uganda were amongst the lowest in the country in terms of both infection and mortality. That's just a, that's just a fact. I mean, that, that's not something speculated. So and yeah, we, I have I have a slide, an ivermectin slide that about Africa that you would be interested in watching, but I think we're running out of time. Yeah, I think we are pretty close to time here. Yeah, so maybe next time we'll talk about that, and I'll show you that questions. slide. Everybody, get some questions in. You guys, have, uh, some of my staff is not muted. You guys could just ask live. No, maybe not. I thought this would get a bunch of questions folks all right well brad this has been awesome we will do it again as they say do it again sam and um oh this is again controversial topics or what science is all about in my mind if you that's part of the whole process of science is to is to be willing to talk about controversial items and talk from multiple perspectives if there are multiple perspectives and, and realize that the old adage of we've got two ears and one mouth and God gave them to us because we should listen twice as much as we talk is a great one. So if somebody has a view that's different than yours, 
be willing to listen to their view. And then you, you express yours, but realize that, that this dialogue's good. It's not a bad thing. Go out and go out and have some fun together afterwards. Don't don't end up hating someone. I have one question, and uh, I think uh, I'm interested in now because I heard there is a very big connection between Bill Gates and COVID vaccine. So, do you have any comments on that? Like, is he the one involved in this vaccine uh, funding or all of that? I'm sure he gave some money to the funding of the vaccine. Um, he also inve invested in uh, injectable ivermectin. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that one. Um, but uh, I don't know how well that did. And, but you see, the thing is, he wants to make, he's always thinking about making money, apparently. He's great at it. And so he wants to patent everything, like all the GMOs he can, all the plants, food, uh, crops, whatever, make uh, GMO meat, so-called. And um, he uh, said about a year ago at a meeting in Germany, and the big word was sadly, which you would not want to hear out of him, but that's him. They were talking about the vaccine and natural immunity. In other words, once you get COVID. And he said, sadly, natural immunity seems to work better than a vaccine. Sadly. So whatever that means, that's Bill Gates. He thinks life is like a computer. It works like a computer. You know, you put stuff in, it comes out just the way you put it in. But even on, as we see, artificial intelligence doesn't work that well either once it goes awry. So we have a few more questions on. coming in now. Yeah, we have a few more questions coming in. So this one is from Telsa and goes like, there was no research during COVID on fueling natural immunity and uh, resilience. Are you open to collaborating on, pre on preventive and regenerative medicine, social impact research that involves, informs peers' decisions with world, real world evidence? Well, the truth is they did a lot of studies uh, testing natural immunity versus vaccine immunity. And the one study I remember best, let me see if I can get this straight. I think there was the unvaccinated, there was the vaccinated, one dose, and the combinations were vaccinated, um, and I think no, didn't get COVID. Uh, and then there was the one, the ones that got vaccinated with one dose and had COVID. And then there were people that had COVID and had natural immunity. But when they tested whatever way they tested it, probably with PCRs, which again, that's a questionable uh, technology. Um, but that showed that the ones who, who got, who had COVID and had a vac vaccination did the best. So that was one thing. Now, again, most people before this started, they said that natural immunity is way better than anything a vaccine can do. And my answer to that would probably be, it's probably true. But because vaccines have side effects, then we have the whole thing we didn't talk about yet, with the, which is it be the injuries from vaccines, which some people want to minimize, don't even want to talk about. That's part of the narrative of the vaccine, not allowing that. And some people, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Maybe I'm burning out. Uh, but well, why don't we why don't we hold that thought? We'll do a cliffhanger here. Uh, All right, we'll cliffhang it. 
we'll, we'll cliffhang that and come back to it. Thank you so much, audience. Thank you, Mark. And really, thank you, Areev. I know you did a, a lot of work to help get ready for this. And even the, the materials we didn't get to today, we'll use them the next time. And Rad, thank you. You've been awesome. Audience, thank you. And we'll be with everybody again two days from now with the chicken lady, um, Gwen from, from New Jersey, who's going to be talking about how um, you can do chicken farming from home. And not, there's not the scale that we've talked about in previous different sessions with Sarah Meyer and others, but instead, home chicken farming. She is passionate about it. And hopefully we'll be uh, doing multiple sessions potentially with Gwen after an interview that we do on Wednesday. So check that out. And Rab, thank you so much. And Mark, why don't you take us out? Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.